So far, we have preached through two main sections of the Apostles' Creed during this series. For those of you who don't really know what the Apostles' Creed is or have never heard of it, it's on the back of our bulletins. We say it each week together, um, and it is an ancient confession of faith that goes back centuries. And so far, uh, we've covered the two sections that cover God and Jesus Christ. This first section is, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Uh, and the second part is, in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. There's a lot in the creed about Jesus. But in the third part, begins this way. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, one way of looking through this Apostles' Creed, one way of organizing it is in three sections. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you know, I thought about doing a sermon uh, just on the Holy Spirit, but it turns out that I just preached for six months on the Holy Spirit. Uh, so if you have any curiosity as to what I think about the Holy Spirit, you can literally hear everything uh, if you go on Apple Podcasts and find our church and scroll down. You can see all of those sermons there uh, ready to go. Uh, I'm not going to focus solely on uh, the Holy Spirit today, I'm going to focus on the Holy Spirit and the holiness of the church. Because, unfortunately, holiness has a bad reputation. For some of us, holy, holiness means individual piety. Some of you grew up with the phrase, don't smoke, drink, or chew, or run with those who do. Uh, that is holiness as piety as individual right behavior. Uh, for some Christians, holiness is kind of so intimidating and so ethereal, it seems like achieving the unachievable. Um, this is like when, when a Christian becomes a monk or a nun or gives up all of their possessions or they become a missionary. We think those Christians are holy. I'm not. I'm just a normal Christian. For others of us, holy just means holier than thou, right? You've met people who have this attitude that they are better than you, and we have a bad um, idea of holiness because all it really comes off as is self-righteous. For some of us, holiness just seems like a, a struggle-free life. We don't really necessarily think that there are all that great of people out there. They're just privileged people, just protected people. Holy people, uh, just, uh, they don't really have struggle. But scripture has a better definition of holiness. One that I think is good news for all of us to hear. Because you may be thinking this morning, I don't really care all that much about being holy. I just want to be a good person. Or you may think... Why would we call the church holy in our ancient confession of faith if it's just so confusing to people? Won't this actually turn people away? Because they know, they know, and we know that the church doesn't always act holy. But here's the reason why. 
we confess the church's holiness. We confess the church's holiness because we know of the church's sinfulness. And I know that sounds really strange. I know it comes off as totally contradictory. But we confess the church's holiness because we also know and confess the church's sinfulness. And I'm totally taking my cue here from Paul. Because Paul was an early church leader. He dealt with a lot of unholy churches, but he kept calling them holy. And the, the letter that we just read this morning comes from a particularly unholy church, or at least you would think so. One guy is sleeping with his mother-in-law and bragging about it. Some members in the church are openly sleeping with prostitutes, no questions asked. And some church members are taking each other church members to court for the tiniest, most petty disagreements. And Paul finds out about this church. He knows it's a disaster. But he keeps calling it holy. Now, he receives a letter from them, which really brings out him to, to write a letter back to them. They say kind of their catchphrases. They sing, say things like, all things are lawful for me. All things are open to me. Food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy one or the other. They have a very permissive attitude at this church. But Paul is having absolutely none of it. He doesn't really buy this all things are lawful for me or food is for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy them both. He has a lot to respond with. He says, no, no, no. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ's? Body. Should I therefore take members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that whoever is united to a prostitute becomes one body with her? But anyone united to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Okay, we've got to get into Paul's mindset for a second. He receives a letter from them. They are dismissing their own bad behavior. Because of these catchphrases that they have. And Paul corrects them by saying, no, no, no. You are united to the Lord in the same way that a body is united to its head. So when you have a union, like the so-called union you have with the prostitute, it is absolutely out of bounds. Your spiritual union with Christ excludes this unholy Union with the prostitute. He says, so flee from sexual immorality. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God? Don't you know that you are not your own? You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Now, when we read that as kind of modern American Christians or just modern Americans, whatever you believe, we, we read it as, a, as very individualistic. We view it as ourselves. But Paul is actually using the Greek word that's plural. So here in Texas, we have the adequate translation of that. Y'all are not your own. 
<laughs> y'all were bought with a price. And y'all are a temple of the Holy Spirit. I am submitting that to some biblical scholar somewhere to change this translation because it is plural. It is the church. You, as a group, as a community of believers, you, y'all, are a temple. You're like a body united to the Lord. You are one with Him in spirit. And that means that you, y'all, are holy. Which means that holiness is not primarily about our goodness. Right? This church is doing messed up stuff. And when, even when the, the people who aren't doing that much of messed up stuff, they're making excuses for the others who are. But Paul says that's, that's not primarily about our own goodness. It's something that God does to us because being holy, if you actually translate it, means set apart. God is the subject of the verb. He makes us holy. He sets us apart. He sends his Holy Spirit to dwell in us, unites us to his son, and makes us holy. One of my uh, favorite people, his name is Cooper, and we uh, actually uh, were, were in Oxford, England together, uh, and I got to know him and become really good friends with him. He, he grew up in church but wasn't really committed to Jesus until he went to college, and he hadn't been, been baptized, and he really wanted to, but he could not get himself to do it. And we were chatting about this, and he, he kept saying, but here's the thing, Mitch, I know I'm going to sin after I get baptized. I mean, I know I am, so I'll just be disappointing Jesus. So I came up with an analogy, and all analogies break down, but this was a college kid, and I knew this would work on him, okay? I said, let's say that you met the best woman ever. He was currently dating this girl and like really in love with her, so I knew this was going to work. He said, let's say you met the best woman ever. She loved you more than anyone. She was smart and kind and loyal and generous and thoughtful and hilarious and so much more. And she proposed to you. She wants to marry you. And I said, what would you think if you said no? And he said, I would feel like an idiot. And I said, you would be an idiot. <laughs> and that is what Jesus has done for you. He already loves you. He already is committed to you. He already wants to be united to you. You would be crazy to say no to him. And that is what the church is like to Christ. Christ is this husband seeking his bride. And he has already proposed, he already loves the bride. And just through that union, she becomes his bride. She doesn't become good in order to be united to Christ. The bride of the church isn't good, isn't spotless, isn't perfect, but we are still united to Christ. Holiness is something that God 
does to us. It is not about our goodness. It is not about how excellent we are. Holiness is God setting us apart. Now, this really helps us because there's kind of two main temptations when we talk about church. One is arrogance. We say the church is holy because of all of the good that we've done. You know, we started countless hospitals, universities, charities, nonprofits, civil rights movements. Those, the, the beautiful art and architecture, we were responsible for that. And we are holy because of the good things that we've done. And all of that is totally true. We did do those things, but none of those make us holy. Our holiness is totally dependent upon Christ. The other temptation is self-deprecation and self-hatred. We are not holy because of all of the bad we've done. We carried out the Crusades, carried out the Inquisition. The church has been racist and sexist. We're not holy. We do this at the local level, too, when we rag on our own church for never, ever, ever being good enough. But the scandal of the gospel is that it is true. Outside of Christ, we are not holy. We are not set apart. We have done great evil. That's why Paul says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Our holiness is totally dependent upon Christ. Now, what this means is that this kind of changes our whole perspective and our starting point on holiness. Because first and foremost, it doesn't make us holier than thou. Holy people knew and have known that they are sinners. What does Paul say? I am the worst of sinners. He recognizes his own sin. Holiness is the ability to confess and say, yes, we have failed. We have fallen short, but our holiness is totally dependent upon Christ. So I am never going to think that I'm holier than you. I'm never going to think that I'm spiritually superior to you. Also, at the same time, holiness does not make for a struggle-free life. If you look at the saints throughout church history, they did not do easy things. Mother Teresa, St. Francis of Assisi, they did so much and sacrificed so much. Holiness means picking up your cross and following Jesus. Holiness does not make for an easy life. And at the same time, holiness is not just for monks and nuns. I remember in high school reading this book by Shane Claiborne called Irresistible Revolution. And I remember thinking that, you know, I was not living a sufficiently Christian life. I couldn't believe that all Christians had not sold all that they had and given it to the poor. 
And I remember thinking church events like potlucks and, and baby showers were silly. We needed to get to real, radical Christianity. So I put a bunch of stuff in a black trash bag, my clothes and, I, and, and, and other belongings I had, video games. I stuffed them into a black trash bag, and I declared to my parents that I was going to sell my stuff and give it to the poor. And let me be clear. This noble offering was all paid for by my parents. This great sacrifice just happened to cost them a bunch of money. <laughs> now, my parents never, they never mocked me for that. They never said that generosity was a bad thing. But the clothes that I gave away just so happened to be all the clothes I didn't like. I kept the ones I did. And I mean, I didn't give away all my video games. I'm not a saint Now, my parents were so gracious with me. They never said anything negative. But radical Christianity isn't so radical when you give away stuff you just don't like. And I had this kind of arrogance about myself that what, you know, uh, church potlucks and, and baby showers, that wasn't real Christianity. No, no. It is. The hospitality of welcoming people into your home to celebrate new life is part of holiness. Having someone over for lunch is part of holiness. Holiness is not just for monks and nuns because God made the whole church holy through our union with Christ and being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Being holy should not make us holier than that. It doesn't make for a struggle-free life. It's not just for monks and nuns. It starts with our union with Christ, with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that leads us out to live holy lives. But it starts with Christ. In the Old Testament, there's this beautiful image for holiness. In the temple where Israel worshipped, the objects that are used in the sacrifices were considered holy. And these are just tables and altars and bowls and lamps, but they're all considered holy. And as I was reading about this, one scholar just said it so perfectly. He said, these holy instruments were placed at God's disposal. These holy instruments are placed at God's disposal. What if this is what we mean when we confess that we believe in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Church? Not that we're so amazing, not that we're all monks and nuns, not that we're holier than thou, but that God has set us apart through Christ, through the Holy Spirit. What if that's what holiness means. Because if that's what it means, then we can totally be aware of the church's failures and sinfulness. We can be just as bad as the church in Corinth. And yet, by being joined to Christ, we are made holy. That is good news. Y'all are bought with a price. Y'all are a temple 
of the Holy Spirit. And y'all are Christ's body. That's good news. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, holiness has such a bad reputation. And some of us think we, we don't want to be holy. We know who has claimed to be holy. We know the church's failures, so our first response is we don't want any part of that. But we know that we're not made holy by our own goodness. Holiness is what you do to us. You set us apart. You place us at your disposal. So we know. We know our sinfulness. But every week we confess the church's holiness. We pray all these things in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.